Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. chapter 10. This one is not quite as difficult as chapter 9 was. So Romans chapter 10 and we're going to look at this and basically I guess the theme of the whole this whole section is to understand the importance of combining zeal or pursuing God with the right kind of knowledge and then to understand that remember we're still talking about Israel in 9, 10, and 11 of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And so in Romans chapter 10, remember that we're still speaking about Israel. Of course, we're, it all applies to us too because a lot of people apply, uh, try to pursue God supposedly, but all kinds of wrong ways. All of us as Israel, he's talking in chapter 10, have the opportunity to hear the gospel and know the gospel, but for the most part, people reject it. They reject the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. And so remember the theme of this whole book is really the fact that that there's a righteousness that comes from God, and that's what upsets most people is they want to think that they can do something to get to heaven, that they have their own righteousness. And that's where we all get messed up because there's none righteous, no, not one. And so Paul spends three chapters proving that. And when he gets to chapter 3, verse 20, he says that the whole world's mouth may be shut and all may be declared guilty before God. And so when he gets to chapter 3, verse 21, he begins to explain about that righteousness that comes from God and how to be saved. And he spends chapter 4 talking about that, that David got believed in God and Abraham believed in God and he... He, he talked about those in chapter 5, how you can't lose your salvation because God has given it to us and he doesn't take it back. And then chapter 6 begins to talk about the fact that we need to not only, now that we have salvation, we need to begin to live like it, right? We need to grow up in Christ and we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin. And then Paul talks about the problem of trying to do it on your own in chapter 7 and says... The things I want to do, I can't do. But the things that I don't want to do, I do those, right? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he he begins to speak about 20 times in chapter 8 about the Holy Spirit because he's only mentioned him one time, but he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit and that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 8. Then we talked about chapter 9 where God chose Israel, and then chapter 10 is where we're at today and where 
they have rejected Israel. So in chapter 9, he talks about his, his sovereign will and his choosing of this nation to be his people, to share the gospel and to tell others who he is. And in chapter 10, he tells how they have rejected it. So he talks about the human side of it. And there's always two sides of that. God is sovereign, but somehow another man's responsible. We don't know how it works. Maybe one day we'll understand it when, when God, <laughs> when we get to heaven, maybe we'll understand that, right? So, like I said, we need to understand in this chapter the right kind of knowledge combined with pursuing God or zeal, as some people have called it, because that's what Paul's going to call it, and understand that Israel had the many opportunities to trust and know the truth about Christ, but they rejected it. And so as we look at this section, uh, we're going to see that as a nation, Israel, they had plenty of zeal, but unfortunately it was not according to the right kind of knowledge. They rejected God's righteousness while trying to establish their own righteousness through the law of Moses. But Paul explains that, that, that Christ is the end of the law and has brought it to an end. And he offers uh, a righteousness that's based upon faith in Christ. It's not upon some great accomplishment of trying to go into heaven to bring Christ down or descending into hell to bring him up, but confessing Jesus as Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. It's foretold by scripture, it's offered to all, and it's through the preaching of the word. They had ample opportunity, but they rejected and Moses predicted that they would reject it. And Isaiah said that those that did not seek God found him, but those who did not seek him, did, they found God. So, like I said, this section talks about Israel's rejection. So let's talk about the first thing, and we want to look at maybe four verses today. And we want to talk about Israel's refusal of God's righteousness are the reasons for the rejection. And remember, this is not just about Israel, but this is about people in general, right? Because the Bible says all scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, that means men and women, may be thoroughly perfected, right, for every good work. And so he says all scripture. And sometimes I have a difficulty as I'm reading through First and second, first chronicles, and they got name upon name upon name upon name, and number after number after number, and numbers, and you know, sometimes you wonder what those things are about, but what God's saying is everybody's important, and he names all these people, and he numbers all the people, and everybody's important to God, right? And so as we get to this section, we're going to see Israel's rejection. So like I said before, you would think that Israel as a nation would have been eagerly eagerly waiting, awaiting their, the arrival of their Messiah and would have been prepared to receive him. The Old Testament, like I said, predicted 300 prophecies, 333 prophecies that Jesus was coming. And they had practiced the law, and Galatians 3.24 says that the, that the law was a schoolmaster to bring them and us to Christ, right? The law shows us that we cannot keep it, and by our not keeping it, we get frustrated, and then we turn to God for salvation. Remember the, what was it, the young man that came to Jesus, and he said, good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? And he says, 
there's none good but God. And so he was saying, are you calling me good because you think everybody's good? Or are you calling me good because you know that I'm God? That's what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying he wasn't good. But remember, Jesus came to his own people in John 1, and he says his own rejected him. And But he says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So remember, there were a few people that were looking for Jesus, Simeon and Anna. And, you know, Simeon said, I can now finally die because I've seen the consolation of Israel. And Anna was looking for him, but most people were not looking for Jesus. So let's read four verses and we'll get into this. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So as we look at this section, the first thing we're going to see is that Paul had expressed in a concern for Israel. Remember in chapter 9, what did he say at the very beginning of the chapter? He said, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ, my brother, my countrymen, according to the flesh. In other words, Paul said, if it were possible, I would go to hell so that my brethren could be saved, right? And remember what he's trying to do. Remember, Paul's been hated by these people, his own people, right? He's... He's, you know, and he says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I count as lost all things. I've lost all things for Christ. I mean, when you became a follower of Christ, you know what happened? You were rejected from the synagogue. None of your family would have anything to do with you anymore. They just disowned you, right? And that's what happened to Paul. He'd lost everything for Christ, but he says he counts it. Is nothing, but he says, I've gained all. I've gained Christ, right? And he wants these people to know that even though they still are mistreating him and hate him and all that, his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He still loves these people because they're his brothers and brothers according to the flesh, right? He says in this section that they have a zeal for God but not according to real knowledge. Here's the first thing. They didn't have a need, feel a need for salvation. See, Paul's heart is that they may be saved, and that's what he wants, and that should be all of our hearts, folks, is if we have family and loved ones that don't know the Lord, we should be praying for them and trying to get the gospel to them and let people know that they need to be saved. And like I said, they may reject us. They may ostracize us they may mistreat us but you know what they mistreated christ and christ said if they mistreated him they mistreat us too right and so these people and a lot of people today they don't feel the need for salvation they just don't feel a need for salvation and the jews didn't either why because they thought they were righteous before god because of their good deeds right and that's the way a lot of people are today well i'm good enough god knows my heart God's going to let me in because I, I hadn't done this and I hadn't done that. And I'm a pretty good person. And yeah, God knows your heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it, right? There's none righteous, no, not one. But here they didn't feel a need for salvation. And, you know, Paul had been in the same place, right? 
because he was doing what? Persecuting the church. I think we read that section last week. Paul was like that too, and he, he understood that. You know, the, he, Jesus had talked about that in the, in the parables, and he had talked about the elder brother. Y'all remember the story? We always call it the prodigal son, but it's really the story of the loving father, and the, the younger son runs off and takes all the dad's goods, and then he comes back, and then the younger brother, the father runs to meet him, and that was just wasn't done. An elder a father didn't run. And that was not dignified, and they were supposed to like stone and kill that child that had done that. But what does he do? He runs to his child, and he welcomes him back in, and then they have a great feast, and they kill the fatted calf. And the elder brother says, I've been with you always. And he says, yeah, everything I have is yours. And that elder brother is really a picture of the Pharisees because they thought they were self-righteous. Guess what? They weren't. And remember, we've talked about the Pharisee. The one that the tax collector, the tax collector wouldn't even look up to God, but he said, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But yet the Pharisee said, oh, God, look at me. I'm wonderful. I tithe. I fast. I do this. I do that. I'm not like other men. And, and ain't I wonderful? And it says he went away not saved, but the tax collector, because he threw himself on the mercy of God, that God forgave him and saved him. Israel, I don't know if I guess most of y'all weren't here when we were talking about the book of John, but in the book of John, what happened was Israel was looking for a political savior. That they were looking for somebody to deliver them from Rome because that's what they were really looking for. They were looking for a king to deliver them from Rome because that's what they wanted. But Jesus didn't come to deliver them from Rome. He came to deliver them from their sin and he didn't come to be king of kings and lord of lords the first time he came to die on the cross. And they were looking for political salvation. They were looking for somebody to deliver them from Rome and did not feel like they needed spiritual salvation, but they needed political salvation. And that's what they wanted because they were under the oppression of Rome. And so Paul says in the second verse, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They were zealous for God, and once they returned from the Babylonian captivity, they pretty well had quit being idolatrous, and remember every time they, they kept falling into sin and worshiping all these idols, God would send them into captivity. That's kind of a picture of us, you know, when we commit sin, the Bible says whoever commits sin becomes a slave to sin. And they worshipped only the true God, and that's where the Pharisees became established, and they were bringing people back to the true knowledge of God. And, of course, unfortunately, they got self-conceited and all that. And they were so zealous for God that they even approved upon God's law. God gave 633 laws, but they added law upon law upon law upon law. And they made up all this stuff. And if I were to tell you some of the things, you would just like... You wouldn't believe it. On the Sabbath, they couldn't throw something up with the right hand and catch it with the left hand because that was work. But you could throw it up with the right hand and catch it with the right hand. If you were bringing your fork to your mouth and the Sabbath hit, you had to drop your fork because that was work. You know, that's why Jesus spit on the ground and made mud and, and gave the guy a brand new eye because they didn't believe you could spit on the ground because that was making mud and that was work. You couldn't drag a chair across the 
ground because you were digging a furrow and that was plowing. You couldn't take a, a pair of tweezers or something with you because you'd be tempted to pluck an eyebrow or something, you know, gray hair or something. And, you know, that was work. And so all of these stupid regulations that they came up with and the people didn't even understand the things that they made up, but that's what they did. And they had added law upon law upon law and they didn't even understand half of what the people wrote. And so they added their own traditions. And you remember Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then you know, you'll by no means make it into the kingdom of heaven. And like I said, Paul had been zealous for the law and traditions. I'll read you a couple of verses. And he says over in uh, Acts 22, verse 3, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. In Galatians 1.13, he says, For if you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond my many contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. One man said it was as if Paul thought himself a 100-watt light bulb surrounded by people who were 75, 60, or 25-watt what bulbs that he was so much better than everybody else right but when jesus appeared to him on the road to damascus remember he appeared as a, a bright light and he was blinded and he couldn't see and and at that point paul realized that he was nothing and he quit giving trying to create his own righteousness instead he placed his faith in jesus christ so their zeal he says here was not based on a, the right kind of knowledge you know, I was thinking about this story that I had told. It's one of the illustrations in this book that I have, these books like we sing, but they had illustrations. And they, all, they told about a couple that rode around, and they had a, like a trailer and, and, or a camper or something. They rode around all the time, and they, they, they were securing the knowledge that if their tire ever went flat, they knew they had a spare in there, right? But one day they happened to look inside of there and they saw the spare was in there, but it was flat as it could be and it was worthless, you know. So sometimes we're securing our knowledge and we're trusting in the wrong thing. We can be sincere about stuff, but we can be sincerely wrong. And unfortunately, the Bible says that all these other people that are trying to get to God some other way are wrong. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, but the way the truth and the life John 14 6 and no one's going to get to the father but by me they kept thinking that they were they were all that in a bag of chips as somebody has said that they thought that their good works and their religious deeds would save them but you know what these are the things that actually keep people from being saved and it's unfortunate that sincerity and devotion to God will never sell any, save anybody. Like I said in Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be saved in his sight or justified. Many people today think that they're going to go to heaven because something they did or something they didn't do, right? You know, I do this and I don't do that. I go to church, I tithe, I fast, I take communion, I'm baptized, I've done good works, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. 
But those things don't save you. That's like I said, we've talked about faith. By faith you're saved. Through By grace you're saved. Through faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So let's look at verse number 3 and 4. So through their ignorance they sought to save themselves by the law, but they did not submit to God's righteousness, which brought an end to the law. Verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to their own to the righteousness of God for Christ is in the law for righteousness to everyone who believes so the first thing we see here is they were proud and self-righteous Israel was ignorant of God's righteousness not because they'd never been told but because they refused to learn there's a verse over in 1st Timothy I believe it is and he says they were ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, many people, they've got the knowledge of God up here, and they believe in God, and they believe in Jesus, and they believe some of the things of the Bible, but they've never bowed the heart and said, Oh, God, forgive me and save me and take me to heaven. I can't change myself. God, be merciful to me. That's the hard part is bowing the knees and just saying there's nothing I can do to earn it, to deserve it, to pay for it. The old song that we sing says, Jesus paid it, what? All. It didn't say Jesus paid 90% or 80% or 50%. And if we could do something to get to heaven, you know what? Jesus didn't need to come to earth. He could have just stayed in heaven. But he came because we couldn't do anything. He said, you are dead in your trespasses and sin, and a dead man can't do anything, right? And that, But he says, but you who were dead, he is made alive. They refused to learn, and a lot of people refuse to learn today. You know, people just reject this Bible, and they never even read it. They say, well, it's a pack of lies. I don't believe it. Well, tell me what you don't believe. Well, I don't know. I just know it's not true. Well, show me something. They can't really point anything out. Say, well, have you ever read it? Well, how can you reject something that you don't know? I mean, how can you say that you don't believe something that you've never read? And that's the way so many people were. Unfortunately, the, the Jews, you know, they, they read the Bible backwards and forwards, all the Old Testament, the Pharisees, they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had to memorize five books of the Bible. But yet they had it up here. But their heart was not right. And that was what it was really all about. We'll talk more about that when we get to the next section. But, you know, so many people, we have a stubborn resistance to the truth. Like I said, you know, some people, if God himself came down, and he, he did, and told them the truth, right? Jesus came down and he told them the truth, and what did they do? They rejected him. And Jesus says, they, I remember the Pharisees in John, whatever chapter it was, chapter 8 or something, he says, tell us plainly, tell us who you are. <laughs> Jesus, I have been telling you. I've told you over and over and over again who I am. And you would not believe. It's like the Jews and also people today, many people today, they're proud of their own good works and their own self-righteousness. They won't admit their sins and they won't trust the Savior. We talked about that last week that Paul said that, and I can't think I read it all last week, but I'll read it one more time again. But Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 3, he said over there, he says in verse 
4, he says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He was of the, he was of the tribe of Israel, man. They were the chosen people of God, right? Of the tribe of Benjamin. That was the kingly line. Those were the people that could hit something at a hair's breadth with a, with a sling. Basically, they would have one of these slings, and they could hit something at a hair's breadth, and they were, just, they were just mighty warriors. They were mighty men of God. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was raised by two Hebrew parents. He had, knew all the Hebrew traditions. He spoke the Hebrew language. Uh, concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. He, he knew it all. He, he tried to keep it all. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church, right? He was a persecutor of church. And then he says, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blamelessness. In other words, he didn't say he was perfect, but he said everything that the law told him to do, he did. If the law said do this, he did it. And if he, if, and he broke the law, you know what he did? He went and made the right kind of sacrifice, and he got forgiveness for God. You know, it's like some people today. Well, you know, you go to church, and you say three Hail Marys, and you do the rosary, and do all these things. Or you go take some communion, and you ask God to forgive you, or whatever you do. But those things don't do anything. The only thing that saves you and forgives you is asking Jesus to forgive you and save you. There was a godly preacher named Robert Murray McShane, and he was passing out tracts one day, you know, gospel tracts telling people how to be saved, and he handed one to a well-dressed lady, and she gave him a haughty look and said, Sir, you must not know who I am. And they said that McShane, in his kind way, replied, Madam, there's coming a day of judgment, and on that day it will not make any difference who you are. It says in Revelation chapter 20, he says, I saw the great and the small, and I saw they were all judged according to their works. Not according to, you know, anything else, but those, and then those that were not found in the book of life were cast in the lake of fire. So we can't think that anything we can do is going to get us to heaven. So he says the last thing, that they misunderstood their law. Look in verse 4, he says, For Moses... Excuse me, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everything about the Jewish religion pointed to the coming Messiah, the sacrifices, the priesthood, the temple services, the festivals, the covenants. And the law told them they were in need of a Savior. But instead of letting the law lead them to Christ, they worshipped the law and rejected, their Christ, rejected Christ. Remember, everything, I don't know if you've ever really read the Old Testament a whole lot and you look at the Old Testament temple but everything in the temple points to Christ in the church and uh, remember the mercy seat there was a seat where the, a pure gold piece that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant and they poured blood on it once a year that was a picture of Jesus Christ that mercy seat the Hebrew word for it is propitiation and propitiation means satisfaction and that's what Jesus did. He satisfied the demands of a holy God. Somebody had to die for our sins. Somebody had to die in our place. And that's what he did when he was on the cross. He died in our place. And the last thing he said was, it is finished. Not, it's been, I started it, now you finish it. He says, it is finished. Your debt has been paid in full. That was a accounting term that means debt paid in full. Remember the old rubber stamps and you'd hit the, you know, stamp them on there. It said paid in full, right? You get a receipt now. It says balance zero. What does that mean? You don't know anything. 
Jesus paid it all. They rejected Christ. But what does it say here? That Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What did, what did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 17? Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For, I sh for assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, that's the smallest letters in the Hebrew alphabet, one of them's like a period, one of them's like a little squiggly on the bottom of a capital Q. Those are the smallest letters in the Hebrew alphabet. He says, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But Paul said in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Basically what happened was when Jesus died, the law was a signpost to point people to Christ. But once Jesus died, he had fulfilled the law. And what he did was he didn't destroy the law, but he removed us from under the burden of the law. What I mean by that is when Christ died, he fulfilled the law completely. He, perfect, he lived a perfect, sinless life while he was here on earth. And then when he died on the cross, he, he completed everything. He died for our sins. He died in our place so that we could go to heaven. That's why he said it was finished. But then what happens is when you become a believer, what do you do? It's not that you have to keep the law anymore, but you want to keep the law. Before I was a Christian, you tell me to do something right, and I would tell you to go jump in the river, and that would be putting it nicely, right? But, and that's probably what the rest of us did. And when, when people say we have to do something because it's the law, what do we immediately say? I talked about that a few weeks ago. I saw the wet paint sign. The first thing I wanted to do was touch it, right? And that's what we all do is we immediately want to do what it says not to do. I forget, that was over at uh, Summer Breeze, up above the elevator. <laughs> and I was just like, well, I want to see if it was still wet. So basically, the law says don't do this and don't do that. Can't you read the sign? But uh, as the old song says, but you know what? Christ says, I completed, I finished, I fulfilled the law. And you know what? When you trust in me, now it's not that you have to keep the law, but you want to. He changes us in here. He makes us into a new creation. And he says, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And we want to fulfill the law. So a couple lessons. A non-submissive heart will keep you from a relationship with Christ. You know, Jesus said in John 7, 17, are you willing to know the truth? He said, basically, he said, if you want to know the truth, I will show you the truth. He said, if you're willing to know whether my doctrine is from God or not, be willing. In other words, I tell folks sometimes, I say, are you a, will, are you a, are a, the Bible says there's really no true atheist, but I say, are you willing to know the truth? Or if I could answer every question you ever asked me, and then you would still tell me to go jump in the river.
But if you really want to know the truth, would you be willing to say, God, if you're really real and Jesus is the way to salvation and there's no other way, would you show me? Are you willing to do that, right? And if you are, then, then God will show you the truth. But if you're not willing to hear the truth, God's not going to show you. Not wanting to know the truth keeps some people from growing. And a lot of people today, you know, uh, we're in this time where people don't want to hear sound doctrine mostly. And they've heaped up teachers with to tickle their ears. And everywhere you look, there's a famine for the Word of God. And listen, the only thing, the only way we can truly be saved is by trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke about that. Paul spoke about that. All the whole scriptures speak about it. And if we don't submit to God and say, Oh God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Are you, are you, and just begging to forgive us on the basis of nothing we can do to earn it, deserve it, but Jesus paid it all, then you know what? If we don't do that, we'll never have salvation. And that's the sad thing is many people out there, he tells them in John 3, you know, he says, God did what? So loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He said, for what? God did not send his son in the world to what? Condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn people. But he says, but those that, that are doing evil, they do what? They love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And they are not willing to come to the truth. So unfortunately, that word God loved that word, same love, that willful love that God had for us, agape or agape, we used to pronounce it. The same love that Jesus has for us, that unconditional willful love that he loves us in spite of who we are. These same people, it says, because they love the darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. This same word that is love for that is the same word love that they want to love this evil. They love this stuff and they will not turn that they might be saved. Well, let's pray and let's close. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you again for your mercy and your grace and your love. Thank you most of all for sending Jesus that there is a way now that's open for us to be forgiven and to be saved. Lord, if there may be even one here today who's trusting in good deeds, that they would cry out today and say, Lord Jesus, save me, I'm a sinner. And then they would believe in you because you said we're saved by grace through faith, and faith is just taking you at your word. You said you sent your son, he died in our place, and then if we would confess and repent and turn from our sins and turn to you, that you would forgive us and save us. Lord, we pray that that would be true for all of us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why don't we, since uh, I mentioned Jesus paid it all so much, why don't we sing number 77? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washes me white as snow. Number 77, Jesus paid it all.
Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.